Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Cargo of Bricks. Now this week I'm talking to East Donegal businessman Willie McCarter, who besides playing a strategic role in the revival of Irish whiskey, also took his family business and turned it into a major source of skilled jobs in the Northwest. I began by asking him about the Fruit of the Loom deal. The Fruit of the Loom deal was a very successful deal, but uh, as always, <laughs> you're motivated by, by something. And uh, we had, uh, there was a group of, well, there was a group, we, we, we were about 450 people in Boncrana and Mullen Head um, in uh, the early 80s. In the early 80s, uh, it was a very difficult time here and in, in, the, in Great Britain and other places. Very, very, very difficult. High cost, high interest rates, high inflation, uh, you name it. We had it very recessionary times. And we were supplying, uh, we, were, we were vertically integrated business, knitting underwear, fashion t-shirts, sportswear for Adidas, for Levi's dumbs, pennies, uh, you name it, we supplied them. But uh, we were uh, crushed on the price, end, uh, on the cost end of things on the one hand, and on prices on the other. And it was very, very difficult business conditions. And my wife, now a uh, per, uh, per, person I work very closely with, said to me one day, you know, what we need is a joint venture with a large American company that has very deep pockets. And that rang a little bell in my thick head. And uh, the result of that was a plan which was supported by the IDA here in, in the Republic, um, whereby my brother, my middle brother, who was working in the business together with my younger brother and the lady who's now my wife, uh, that my middle brother, who had worked for DuPont, for uh, uh, he was a chemical engineer, and he uh, he had uh, uh, he had been in Camden, South Carolina, or North Carolina, uh, for a year. So had some friends there, and that, and he went with a wife and two small children to demonstrate that we were serious. Because nine miles from the border, we thought there's no possibility that we would be able to get anybody from the outside to come in here, you know, when they read the papers and look at the TV, even though we were operating very normally, as did a lot of business and that, we thought there's no way unless we really do something serious. So my brother decamped for a year. Uh, he, we were lucky in that very shortly he was introduced to a guy who had built up the modern Fruit of the Loom uh, business. and. Uh, the result of that wa was that Fruit of Loom uh, made a visit here in July '86. Uh, they they liked what they saw. We we kind of hijacked the trip because the original plan was that they would fly in and out of Derry, come and see us for an hour, come and see Unify in Letterkenny, and go out. And we thought there's no way that we'll ever be able to clinch a deal if they just stay that time. So I had some good friends in the IDA guy called Kieran McGowan. Uh, we uh, kept them overnight in a very nice house here owned by Pat Doherty of Harcourt and Titanic fame. Uh, the people were able to relax. There was about six of them. Uh, in fact, I remember we had, we had all sorts of entertainment from golf to sailing laid on from. They arrived about four o'clock and I put all this to them in very blank faces. And then I said, would you like a gin and tonic? And they said, 
now you're talking. So they've been run, run around Ireland, run ragged. All they wanted to do was relax. So, it, so we enabled them to relax. And the next day, their vice chairman, who's a very direct guy, just said to me, we took them out to dinner that night, a very well-known restaurant here in Vaughan called St. John's or Reggie's. Uh, and uh, they relaxed there. We didn't talk any business. And the next day, their vice chairman stood up and said, well, Willie, what do you want? And I just said to him, Joe, we want uh, a joint venture here that, that and uh, we want you to uh, market and sell our goods and so on. And I said, right, we'll see what we can do. Uh, what happened then was I went out with my brother Andy the end of August. We tic-tacked another while, went out at the beginning of November, took two days to shake hands on a deal, and that deal was signed, sealed, delivered at the beginning of February. So these things can be done, even in very difficult times, if you're motivated and, you, and uh, you have the determination to do it. So tell me this, what, what problem did that deal solve for you? You talked about this tiny difference between price and cost. So how, how, just tell us how that deal actually solved that problem for you. Well, it, 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 I mean, it, saw, it solved it in a most dramatic way, Mick, in that uh, Fruit of the Loom were, were not interested in any of, any of our existing business, even though we were connected to, you know, people like Duns and Pennies here, uh, Adidas. Uh, we just gave it all up. And we proceeded to engineer uh, with, say, with 400 people then. We ended up about six or seven years later with 3,000 including a plant in Morocco, uh, around which all of the business is now situated. But we had about uh, six or seven plants here in Donegal and two in Derry with a cross-border business with about 3,000 people, producing about a million T-shirts a week and 400,000 sweatshirts. And I think the production now is about double that, all in Morocco. Uh, but in those days, we were producing that here. But you asked me what it had sold. Uh, Fritalum brought in technology. We had a lot of people, a lot of very good people. They adapted to their high volume technology and their business model. Their business model was, you know, run the plant at maximum efficiency, produce t-shirts at the and um, sweatshirts at the very lowest possible cost, and then sell them all out over Europe. And we gained about 25% of the total European market with that model. It was fantastic. Uh, and funnily enough, even though we had been uh, a, 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 an underwear company since my uncle came from Derry in 1932, uh, from the day that once we took off, took off with Fruit of the Loom, which was the largest underwear company in the world, probably still is, uh, we produced no further underwear. Because so then it was a way of really kind of trimming a local business that had been there for generations. Uh, towards a new globalizing market. Yes, yeah, and per, they 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 had a lot of the technology. Now, our, we had very good people uh, from uh, people in this area in Donegal and Derry. Uh, uh, we had a lot of expertise. Uh, the only thing we didn't know too much about was spinning. Uh, but eventually, uh, after about uh, three or four years, we built our own spinning mill. In, in Derry, uh, and, and we're spinning nearly a million pounds of fabric a week, it's the largest spinning mill in Europe. Uh, and the whole complex was the largest, at the time, was the largest vertical t-shirt and sweatshirt plant in the world. 
Hard to so, believe in the troubles in a, in a little area in North Donegal and Derry. Well, it is. And, and it's not the way you'd kind of expect things to be generated from, uh, from Donegal back into Derry. I mean, in the old days, that was pe- people went from Donegal to Derry to get a job or to get on the train and go to Belfast or points, points further east or west. Including, including my own mother from outside Malin Town. I have deep, deep veins of Donegal blood in myself, so I, I know exactly where that's coming from. But uh, what were the challenges then in terms of not just – I mean, the background obviously was the Troubles. That has its own kind of drag effect. What were the technical issues of trying to run a business that, in two separate jurisdictions? Uh, well, we had a, a serious border in those days, uh, which was complicated by uh, check, army checkpoints and whatnot. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that had its own problems. Uh, but we, we had a very genuine cross-border business in that once we built our spinning mill, we were spinning most of our, most of our yarn. Uh, as I say, we're completely vertical set up. Mm. So we spun, we spun most of our yarn at Campsie, uh, just outside Derry. That, uh, we did some knitting there, and the circular knitting machines, high-speed circular knitting machines, but we brought both the yarn and the fabric uh, that we had knit there to Boncrana, where we had a lot of knitting, bleach and dye, cutting, sewing, warehousing. And then we had a huge warehouse in Boncrana that, funnily enough, is now part of the film studios uh, at the Titanic Center. So we brought that yarn uh, and fabric across the border. Uh, we uh, did bleaching, dyeing, cutting, sewing, warehousing, and then all of that, all those t-shirts and sweatshirts came back across that border, out through Larne, Belfast, some out through Dublin, right across Europe, in quite, quite difficult times. Why did you put them in Derry? Why not keep them on the, on the, the southern side of the border? Well, uh, Part of that is, is, is due to personalities, uh, and uh, part of it is just uh, is timing in that, uh, and personalities in that uh, the guy who controlled Fruit of the Room at the time, Bill Farley, uh, you, you would probably remember uh, an economy minister here called Sir Richard Needham, yeah, I and uh, Sir, Sir Richard met Farley in Chicago and he said, would you put a plant in Northern Ireland? So we got a direction to put a plant in Northern Ireland. Uh, at the same time, my boss in Kentucky, uh, who was the guy who really built the modern Brutal Room and is still alive and very well, and I still see him every year. Uh, he said he rang me up about the same time and uh, he said, look, Willie, uh, you know, you know, we've talked about a yarn mill. Uh, well, he said, when I look at my figures here, I think we need a yarn mill, and we need it right away. Uh, this is a, he and I used to talk on a Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon, my time, Saturday morning in Kentucky time, and they said, look, uh, I hate to put you under this pressure, but I'd really like an answer by Monday. So we knew that we couldn't get planning permission on this side of the border for this mill. We had a very good relationship with the IDA and, and government here. Uh, but we did know that uh, <clears throat> the IDB, as it was then in the north, didn't need planning permission uh, for, for building there. And we knew there were a few sites around Derry. Also, we had this directive to put a plant there. Also, I must say, John Hume, 
have been bending my ear and saying, would you not put some of this work here in Derry? And of course, John Hoover, a very persuasive guy, a uh, very good guy. Uh, so the combination of that was on the Sunday morning, a guy who was then running the IDB in Derry, Des Harvey, and I walked around the site in Maydown and Des said to me, you know, if you needed the plant here, we, we're government, we don't need planning permission, we can erect this for you and we could even lease it to you. And I said, this sounds very good, Des. <laughs> you sure about this? <laughs> he said, yeah, I'm perfectly sure. So Monday afternoon, I rang John Holland and said, look, John, I think we have a solution to this plant. And uh, within a week, uh, the IDB had a team out in Kentucky, which was joined by my brother and myself. And after a day or so, we had a deal hammered out. And the diggers went on to the site pretty well after that and my brother superintended the the building of the, of the mill and uh, we built it to world-class standards part, part of that deal was we they asked us would they put a sewing plant into Derry as well so we put a sewing plant quite a big sewing plant of about uh, five six hundred people uh, into Derry as well as uh, or maybe I got my figures I made about 400 uh, as well as the spinning mill and and and, we're, and and we did quite a bit of fair fair bit of knitting there as well. That's how that happened. That's that's a fascinating story, and I think it tells us an awful lot. Uh, not least about the stubbornness and the not take no for an answer of John Hume. Um, but you know that's poli- in a way that's politics doing what politics can do when it's got focus on the right things. Derry's been long known as a textile centre. You know, and you had presumably workers in what had otherwise been a failing industry at that point with the skills to do some of the things that you did. To, to what, I mean, obviously, the big, the big thing was the, the institutional response, the speed of the institutional response from the IDB to a need that you had in a very short space of time. But to what extent was it the skills of the workers in and around Derry and, and even um, sort of northeast Donegal? That, that that was a, a kind of attractive to you in terms of being able to build that business and pitch it into Kentucky as one of your key strengths? Well, I, I think the answer to that, Mick, is that what attracted to Fruit of the Loom to Boncrana in the first instance was uh, the depth of experience and what they would call, what they did call, uh, the work ethic of the people. And uh, that means that what they meant by that was, you know, we we had we had everybody from uh, the people who swept the floors to top management who really knew quite a bit about the business that they were in. Uh, in Bulkana, we are we got we'd got into a bind that was not our fault. You know, it was a, a general economic bind. You tend to forget how bad the recession was, but. Uh, the, the, the same the, the same answers and when I said to John Holland about going into Derry and how quickly it could be done, you know, he he Fruit of the Loom actually had an earlier experience in Derry where they used to store Fruit of the Loom. This had nothing to do with the entire project, but just by coincidence, Fruit of the Loom used to store Fruit of the Loom T shirts in the in the Rochester shirt factory which was then developed by Glenn Barr as the Ebrington project. And uh, 
So John Holland knew a bit about what Derry was like and so on. But the same thing applies that, you know, they're pretty good work ethic, as the Americans called it. And people who were very adaptable knew quite a bit about, you know, uh, the shirt industry uh, and, and so on, and people who have a mechanical mind. And uh, we certainly were able to recruit people and uh, do a first-class job. And I mean, apart from apart from one year when we had an American came to help us with the spinning mill and getting up it up and running, we never had any resident Americans. It was all done by local people, which is the thing that makes me most proud about all all of those times and even though i didn't like to see the industry going from here and i've been out of it for years but uh, i mean it was our people here who put the industry in morocco where there's over four thousand people it was our people put that industry in rabat on the map what lessons from that experience do you think we can take forward into into a future where northern ireland needs to kind of grow uh it's business base from way beyond really where most of it is at the moment, which is in central Belfast? Well, uh, I, I mean, I, I think we said we wouldn't talk about Brexit and uh, I, I won't talk about Brexit, but uh, after January, uh, one of the things that our people in Fruit of the Loom found, and indeed I understand from good friends in years gone by in DuPont and Derry, uh, is that this this area or this northwest area? Same applies to other border areas. is is a very very good area for people to live in, bring up families. Uh, it's very good. It really is a very good good area. Uh, and and compared to uh, to capital cities and other, it's it's a relatively low cost area. But it's an area where there there's good schools, third level institutions. Uh, you know, quite connected to uh, other places. So it's a good area. And you can see this in the likes of Seagate and Primerica and Letterkenny. Fruit of the Loom was here with 3,000 people. Unfortunately, not here, but that's globalization uh, and so on. But this is a good area to work in. And if I were running a business the, these days, uh, and I'm only an advisor now, but if I was, and, and, uh, and, uh, and looking at, at uh, what to do about Brexit, I would have a physical facility in Derry, I'd have a physical facility in Bonkrana, I'd have a legal facility in Derry, legal facility in Bonkrana. I would look out to the, to the UK, and to the wider world, I'd look at the at the EU because of my location and because of the of the common travel and work area. My workforce could live in in Northern Ireland if they wished. They could live in the Republic in the EU if they wished. But they could work both sides of the border uh, as the company wished. And if I was a, if I was any sizable company, I'd put down a location. Uh, uh, routes on both sides of the border here that would enable me to maximize my advantage in brexit same applies to other border areas and it's also a very good area to do business and a low-cost one so that's what I, that's that that's what i would do any asks from government uh, i think government uh, uh, i don't want to get into the politics of it that's now that's never been my my business uh, but, you know, like the late Sir George Quigley, 
uh, I think this island is an island. Uh, it needs to economically cooperate. Uh, and in, with Brexit uh, fast approaching, it needs to cooperate economically a lot more and do the kind of thing that I have, suge I have suggested. And certainly in border areas, uh, the government in Dublin needs to cooperate with the executive and the wider uh, UK government to make sure that border areas, which by their nature uh, are peripheralized, uh, maximize their advantage. Uh, that's not leaving Belfast out or Dublin, and I uh, see very uh, keen to see that both Belfast and Dublin rated very highly amongst, you know, high-tech cities in uh, in Europe and across the world. Uh, advantage should be taken of that uh, because, uh, you know, even though we think. Uh, you know, we're divided society here in Northern Ireland and in the, between the Republic and Northern Ireland. You know, a bit like Mark Twain and the world, we're only a pinprick in terms of, of, of the wider world. So cooperation, looking out and, you know, maximizing our advantage and seeing where we fit in in the niches. Cargo of Bricks is brought to you by Slugger O'Toole. Support us by going to sluggerotool.com and hit the donor box. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from.